0: Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep, I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Before we begin, I just want to throw out there that there is a new bonus episode over on Patreon. I've decided to read what I have of three different stories I started but never finished. I would love any feedback for which story you'd like me to finish first, I write at a snail's pace, so I'm hoping this will kick my ass to get more original content out. All three stories are very different, so I'm eager to see what the consensus is. Also, earlier this week, I released part three of my reading of Henry James's The Turn of the Screw on this same channel, so if you look at the episode before this one, there it is. This week, I have two very scary stories for you. I thought they complemented each other very well, and I think they're going to scare the pants off of you. First up this week is a submission from Richard Kenway. You remember Richard from his incredible Christmas story about Santa Claus helping out some humans who were trapped on top of a building in London during a zombie apocalypse. If you haven't listened to 2019's Christmas episode, I highly recommend it. That story is fantastic. Well, he's done it again, and this time with It Lived in the Attic. Oh, real quick, I just had to add in. This does contain a few descriptions of animal cruelty towards a kitty cat, so if, you, that, if that's going to bum you out, please skip it. Go to the next one. Alright. Shelby out. I want to start this story with a full disclaimer. I have never really been a huge believer in the supernatural or ghosts or anything along those lines, really. I've always tried to focus on a belief that everything can be proved by science and physics. Yet, no matter how hard I try, I cannot find a suitable explanation for the events that took place in my childhood home. I thought maybe if I wrote it down, I would be able to find some kind of logic behind it. So, here goes nothing. There was nothing special about my childhood home. It didn't look menacing from the outside, it wasn't home to some deranged killer who wiped out his entire family. In fact, when we moved in, it was still technically a new home with only one previous owner, and no, nothing bad happened to him. Actually, quite the opposite. He met someone and moved in with her, happily ever after, hopefully with a couple of kids and a cat or a dog. Anyway, moving back to the story at hand, As I said, there was nothing spooky or unusual about the house we lived in. In fact, we were there for three years before we started to notice the first signs. I was sat in my room, reading a book on my bed. It was late in the evening, and we had just finished our supper. It was so discreet that I could have easily missed it. I'm still not sure what made me hone in on it, but whatever the reason, my attention was stripped from my book and to the strange sound coming from the ceiling was a faint, scratching sound. Very quiet, but definitely there. I put the book down and stood up to listen. I strained my hearing as I tried to hone in on where the sound was coming from. Everything all right? I jumped and turned to see my dad standing in the doorway. He smiled with his usual childlike manner as he realized he just gave me a small heart attack. Yeah, I thought I heard scratching, I replied. Probably just a squirrel or something. They always seem to find a way in, Dad replied. Well, if Dad was happy to shrug it off, then there was no reason why I couldn't. Days turned to weeks, and I hadn't given the scratching sound a single thought. That was until they came back one night. I was laid in bed listening to a horror podcast. I always listen to one before I go to sleep. I know, right? But what can I say? I'm a huge horror buff. So, I'm listening to the story about some kids in a cabin being hunted by some kind of shadow spirit or demon. When it suddenly comes to my attention that I can hear scratching. At first, I thought it was from the podcast story. The woman who runs the show does an incredible job with sound effects. It makes you feel like you're in the story she's reading. I sat up in bed and pushed the pause button on my phone. The scratching was definitely coming from the ceiling, But there was something different about it. It sounded a little... louder. Multiple squirrels? I thought. No, that can't be right. There was only one set of scratching. If there was more than one squirrel, then I would hear more than one set of scratching, right? I figured there was nothing I could do about it and resumed my podcast and fell asleep. The next morning before I left for school, I told my dad about it, and he said he would go up into the attic after work and have a look. I went about my day and pushed the scratching sounds out of my head again. Later that night after dinner, I helped my dad get the ladder from the garage, and I held it steady whilst he climbed up into the attic. We used to have a light up there, but the bulb blew last year, and we never got around to replacing it. Instead, dad grabbed an old torch he kept in his toolbox and used that. I could see the light from the torch darting this way and that as he walked around the attic. Gotta be a squirrel or something, he said, emerging from the darkness. He climbed back down the ladder, closing the hatch as he did so. can't see where they're getting in, but they've already done a number on the wooden beams up there. Scratch marks and bite marks. I'll have to put some traps down. Now. I should also point out here that I'm a little bit of an animal lover, so if I'm honest, I wasn't entirely thrilled about my dad setting up a trap for a squirrel. Then again, I wasn't entirely thrilled about them chewing through the wooden beams and causing the ceiling to fall in on me either. Lesser of two evils, I suppose. I forgot to point out earlier that we actually don't live too far from a wooded area, so we aren't strangers to wildlife. I used to see a family of foxes make their way up the street from my bedroom window. I guess the bigger of the group was a male, which I named Basil, after Basil Brush. We also saw the odd badger, and we were always getting hedgehogs in our back garden. I just wanted to clarify that in case you thought we were living in the middle of a populated area. My point being, it wasn't unusual for us to get squirrels and mice and even the odd bird in our attic. This is the first time one took to vandalism, however. That night, after work, me and dad retrieved the ladder from the garage, and he once again ascended into the darkness of the attic. This time, he had a bunch of spring traps and some bait. He set them, then came back down. That ought to get them, he said confidently. I went about my usual nighttime routine, as I always did, with a spot of reading and finished off with another podcast. If my memory's correct, I think I heard the first snap halfway through the second story. I didn't even hear the screeching, just the loud snap of the trap closing in on its prey. I hit the pause button on my phone and listened. There was nothing but silence, and the occasional snore coming from my parents' room. Yes, Dad was right. It got him, I thought to myself. I leaned over and was about to hit the play button, when there was another snap from above. Another trap had been sprung. Maybe there was more than one after all. I listened for a bit longer, but heard nothing except my dad's snoring. The whack. Another trap went, and it was immediately followed by scratching and what sounded like shuffling, like something was being dragged across the floor. I heard two more traps go off before the sounds stopped. I didn't put my podcast back on after that. I fell asleep listening out for any more funny sounds from the loft. The next day was Saturday, so we all enjoyed a nice long lie-in. When I eventually rose, Dad asked me if I had heard any of the traps last night. He was quite surprised when I told him I had heard all of them go. Once again, the ladder was fetched and Dad went up into the darkness to inspect the aftermath. I saw the torch going this way and that as he looked around. Well, that's weird, I heard him say. What's wrong? I called up. His face appeared at the hatch. He looked more confused than concerned. The traps have been sprung, and the bait's gone, but... He stopped a moment as he looked over his shoulder. All the traps have been moved, they're now piled in the corner of the attic, he said. That is weird. Would squirrels do that? I asked. Dad shook his head. No idea. These ones obviously did. We tried the traps again over the next few days, but we got the same results. The traps were sprung at some point in the night and then piled up somewhere in the attic. I wasn't always awake to hear the traps go, probably because I had gotten used to them. The scratching sound got worse, though. Sounds strange, but it actually sounded like the thing making them... was getting bigger. I didn't say anything to my parents because it was ridiculous. There was no way we had some kind of super squirrel living in our attic. I think it was on the following Wednesday or Thursday, Dad introduced us to Jaffa. (coughs) Jaffa is a large ginger cat with one hell of a mean temper. He belonged to a friend of Dad's and from what I gathered, he had a bit of a reputation. There was almost nothing this ferocious feline wouldn't take on. I heard he even went toe-to-toe with a large fox once. I gotta admit, I wouldn't mind seeing him go up against Basil. That would be one hell of a fight. Dad brought in the carry cage and set it down on the kitchen table. Ta-da! He said with open arms like he was introducing us to a celebrity. Please tell me you're not thinking of doing what I think you're planning on doing, Mum said. It was pretty obvious what he was planning on doing with Jaffa, but he felt the need to explain it to us anyway. I'm gonna put him up there tonight. He'll either kill or scare off whatever's coming in and chewing the beams up. A couple of days and I guarantee they won't be back. That's if they escape the first time around. Mom was flat out against this encouragement of animal-on-animal violence, but I had to admit, I did kind of see Dad's point of view. Jaffa didn't actually have to kill any of the squirrels. I don't know what would have been a worse fate. Being eaten alive by the cat from hell or having your body broken by a large metal trap. At least the second option gave them some form of a chance. We decided to leave the ladder in the upstairs hallway because we would need to go up there and check on Jaffa, but also because it was becoming a real pain to keep bringing it in and taking it back out again. Jaffa stared at me with his large green eyes while Dad went up the ladder. He sure was terrifying. I sure as hell wouldn't want to take him on, He even growled at me when I picked up the cage so I could hand it to my dad. He released Jaffa in the attic and closed the hatch. Dad rubbed his hands with glee. Sure, he was celebrating now, but he was the one who was going to have to put Jaffa back in the travel cage when he was done. No way in hell I was going to do it. I didn't put on a podcast that night. I was too intrigued by the idea of killer cat Jaffa going on the hunt above me. I just laid in bed and listened to the occasional sound of him wandering around the attic. Every now and then he would meow. As scary as he was, I did feel sorry for him. He was taken away from his home by some unknown man and then thrown into a dark attic for the night. I'd certainly be pissed. Several hours went by and I had managed to keep myself awake for the show. I was just starting to drift off when the scratching came. I sat up in bed and listened carefully. From somewhere above, I heard Jaffa growl at the intruder or intruders. I heard a pounce and a scuffle. Jaffa had found its prey and wasn't hesitating about going in for the killing blow. But then I heard something I didn't expect to hear. Something that made my blood run cold with fear. Jaffa began to howl and cry out. Something was hurting him, and it was hurting him bad. The noise was horrendous, and from the sounds of it, there was one hell of a scrap going on up there. Everything went silent, and the noises stopped. I didn't know what the hell had happened to Jaffa, but I knew it wasn't good. The next morning, I told my dad what I'd heard. He didn't seem to be bothered by it. Squirrels are pretty vicious. Doesn't surprise me that they put up a bit of a fight. I asked if we should quickly check on him, but Dad said he'd do it after work. That night, after Dad had a sit-down and read the paper... We got the ladder ready and went up to see how last night's battle went. He took some food up for Jaffa in case the squirrels hadn't filled him up. From where I was standing, I saw Dad's torchlight hone in on one place. He was looking at something. He reappeared at the loft's hatch and came back down. Did he get them? I asked. No, they got him. What do you mean? I replied. That cat has been torn to pieces up there. Guts all over the place. No way in hell squirrels could have done that. That was the first time I ever saw fear on my dad's face. He got a plastic bin bag from the kitchen and took it up to the attic with a pair of rubber gloves. He was up there for some time picking up what was left of Jaffa. He eventually came back down and put the bag out on the back step. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to Lee," he said. That night, there was an almighty crash from the attic. It sounded like the ceiling was collapsing on top of us. I heard my parents from their bedroom, and I got up to join them. By the time I got out on the landing, Dad was already getting the ladder ready. Mom protested, but Dad was adamant he wanted to see what was going on up there. He went up with a torch and started to walk around. Me and Mom watched the light from the upstairs landing. None of us spoke, but we occasionally looked at each other with concern. What on earth is that? We heard Dad ask from the attic. The light faded slightly as he walked away from the hatch. We waited and listened. From up in the attic came the loudest screech I've ever heard. It came from no animal I've ever heard before and it sounded unworldly. My dad yelled, first with shock and then with pain. We heard an almighty thud which made the ceiling shake. There was crunching sounds and the sounds of clawing at the ground followed by thuds and thumps. My dad was being thrown around like a ragdoll. All the time, he yelled and begged for help. Me and my mom stood helplessly at the bottom of the ladder and listened as my dad stopped screaming. There was more crunching, followed by a horrendous roar. At that point, we fled the house and ran to a neighbor. The police were called, and what was left of my dad was found in the attic. The official cause of death was that he was attacked by a wild animal, though... It was never revealed what it could have been. We don't talk about it anymore. If I try to bring it up, Mom ends the conversation immediately. It's been 15 years since the night my dad was killed, but I remember it like it happened yesterday. What disturbs me the most, though, right now, whilst I'm writing this, I can hear the faint, subtle sounds. Of scratching Coming From the ceiling This next story is from another talented author That you're all familiar with If you loved the creepy puppet of Le Silk Moldy Then you'll love the latest from Frank Woolsey. This one is called Camp Goodwill Seventeen year old Katie Nicholson was not the first person to fall for Zediah Rennell, and she was sure that she would not be the last. He was something of a catch, she thought. He was slender, long legged, with deep set eyes, a square jaw and full lips that Katie very much wanted to kiss until they'd bled. His torso and some of his face were marked with pale crisscrossing scars. They made Katie think of a road map that told a story of knife fights or broken shards of glass or something similar, she thought. Lost in her thoughts about the beautiful boy dozing beside her, Katie mindedly began to run her thumb over the skin of his pale cheek. Her thumb grazed against one of the scars. The old wound felt like sandpaper against her thumb, a ravine carved into otherwise impeccably smooth skin. His eyes... A startling pale green, nearly silver, soul-searching, fluttered open, and he smiled up at her. Hello, doll, he said, smiling with all of his teeth. That's my job. (laughs) Katie giggled. She giggled like she was supposed to, and let him cup her cheek with one calloused hand, sighing contently as he mimicked her affectionate gesture. You're gorgeous, he said, mostly to himself. And that was how Katie knew he meant it. The wind howled outside their tent. Owls called out into the night. Wolves howled off in the distance, and thunder rumbled from some kilometers away, deeper into the woods beyond Camp Goodwill. Goodwill was a camp that prided itself on being a place where youth offenders went to reform, a glorified boot camp, really, taking the form of a summer camp. Zedaya was there on charges related to… possession of marijuana, if Katie remembered it right. Something like that. He certainly didn't act like a pothead, Katie thought. After all, he was a conventionally attractive rich kid who came from fucking Wellington of all places. Katie had been sent to Camp Goodwill for beating the shit out of one of her classmates. The bastard had tried to stick his hand up her skirt. The kid was an asshole. Served him right, really. The teeth Katie had apparently knocked out were just a comeuppance, just an asshole tax. Naturally, neither the cops nor the school administrators had believed a word of her story. As was the norm for cases like Katie's, the smarmy, sniveling brat had gotten off scot-free with some bullshit about this or that she didn't remember. Zediah wrapped an arm around her and pulled her in close. She hummed contently and buried her face in the pit of his chest. You all right? I'm with you, was her only reply. And Zedaya's smile lit up her world. She folded her knees up and threw one arm over her boyfriend? Oh, she hoped so. She hoped that this wasn't a one time thing. There was a heavy sounding thump from outside, and Katie sat bolt upright. Zedaya laughed softly in response. "'Scared, babe?' he asked, sitting up with her and flinging his arms over her neck, letting his clasped hands dangle over her chest. Katie snorted. <laughs> "'Hardly.' Still, though, she got off the slightly too small bed and stumbled across the tent on wobbly legs, grabbing Zodaya's hoodie from the floor and throwing it over herself. Zediah was slim, yes, but he was tall, with broad shoulders." Katie was no slouch in a fight, as evidenced by her reason for attending Camp Goodwill. But she was still short, and built like a bloody willow branch. Zidaya's hoodie swallowed her. He laughed from the bed. ''Shut!'' Katie hissed, although her cheeks reddened and her eyes danced with mirth. ''I'm gonna go check what that was. Maybe one of the bear bags fell down.'' That would be a problem, she thought as she pulled back the tent flap, Zidaya's hoodie hanging over her knees. There were bears in the woods. The wind was strong, shaking the trees surrounding the campsite and pulling Katie's bleached blonde hair in front of her face, the winds carding long fingers through her pale locks. Katie picked up the flashlight she'd left just outside Zediah's tent and turned it on, the blessedly powerful beam sending rays of light across the forest floor. She ran the beam over each of the bear bags, still hanging from their places up in the branches. Katie's breath caught in her throat, and she caught herself holding the heavy-duty flashlight to her breast like a baseball bat. The wind stopped tussling her hair with all the care of a lover, and started to slice at the exposed skin on her face and legs with frigid, cold needles. She bit her tongue to keep from calling out hello. That was how people died in horror movies. Katie. Fuck! Katie spun around to where the voice had come from just to her left, close enough that she should have been able to feel hot breath touch her skin. Who said that? There was nobody there. Katie? Her heart flooded with relief as she took a step backwards, one of her bare feet crumpling the material of the tent just below the zipper. A freezing cold hand clamped over her mouth and nose. (coughs) Katie screamed into the damp, cold palm dropping the flashlight to the ground where it spun and sent a bright light cascading around the campsite in a dizzying circle. I'm fine. Just putting the barebacks back up. Said the thing, gripping a struggling Katie in a perfect imitation of her voice. I'll be back in just a minute. Katie! scream screamed for the person who lay just a meter away from her went unheard muffled by the hand of whatever the fuck made the woods surrounding Camp Goodwill its home it wasn't a fucking bear the thing pressed its face close to Katie's cheek it did not breathe you say a word it hissed and I will keep your skull in is that clear? Katie nodded it let go of her face and Katie pulled in a strangled breath. It gripped her shoulders and yanked her away just as she turned back to the tent. Oh God, its face! There is not... The thing that was not a person hissed, cupping her face in one hand in a gesture that almost mimicked compassion. A person in the world who will save you. Katie whimpered, please she whispered let me go hey babe hissed a voice that was almost like katie's could you come out here for a second the last person to wake up the next morning oblivious to what had occurred the previous night was marilyn rakes a familiar face to the managers of the camp her most recent stunt, was breaking into her ex's house and smashing his copy of that empire game he'd been so obsessed over. Served him right, she thought, swinging herself up and out of bed, hopping off her lumpy and uncomfortable mattress. Stretching, she planted her feet on the much-too-thin sheet that offered a weak separation between her feet and the ground. Stone stuck up from beneath the mat, and Marilyn winced as she pulled her socks and shoes on. There was some sort of commotion going on over the guy's neck of the woods. People were screaming bloody murder. Marilyn could hear the shouting even through the tent and across the thin stretch of woods that led to the guy's camp. She didn't even bother to change out of her tank top and shorts. She just shrugged on her jacket so fast she missed the left sleeve and left her coat hanging off her right side. What's going on? She said, sliding to a stop in the camp. Keegan Merritt, an archetypical tough guy with a rap sheet a mile long, pointed one shaky finger at whatever people were screaming at. He was ghost white, although there was a faint green tinge to his skin. He then placed his hands on his knees and vomited all over his Nike Cortez shoes. Curiosity got the better of her and Marilyn pursed her lips. She started to walk towards the gathering. She covered her ears to drown out the screams about things bending in ways that they were not supposed to bend. She tried to block out the sounds of nauseous gags and unanswered pleas for someone to please call 111. There had to be a landline at the camp entrance if someone just ran there. Oh, God. Shut up, Marilyn hissed and pushed some guy out of the way, one of the younger campers who seemed all too glad to be shoved out of the action. Oh. 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 The first person Marilyn saw was Katie Nicholson, lying crumpled on the ground. She was nude, a hoodie that looked far too big for her lying beneath her head, folded neatly as if it were a makeshift pillow. There was nothing remotely attractive about the nudity. Katie lay on her side, bent, fully in half. Katie's arms reached outward as if to grab at some aid that hadn't come to her, her head resting by her feet. Her face was frozen, eyes wide open and bulging, jaw hanging loose. Dried blood and spittle pooled on the forest floor and at the corners of her lips. A couple meters away was Zadiah Rennell, also nude. His torso and right arm had been crushed, blood and viscera pooling around his body. Marilyn didn't want to linger on the fact that he was looking at Katie, that his mouth was hanging open, not in a scream, but a marker of his last whispered word. She didn't want to think about the undamaged arm, the arm that reached for Katie, but she couldn't tear her eyes away, even as her stomach flipped. Somebody stepped forwards. It was Keegan, still green and shaking, but moving with a strange sense of purpose. He removed the hoodie from underneath Katie's head and shook it out to its full size like he was unfurling a beach towel. With all the care in the world, he laid it over the poor girl's body like a burial shroud. She doesn't deserve this, he whispered. Marilyn took off her jacket and covered Zadiah's corpse with it. The campers calmed down somewhat, and one of the kids ran to get the counselors. Everybody else sat tight and waited for their supervisors to arrive. They knew the drill. One of the counselors arrived some minutes later, a scrawny, gaunt woman with a round jaw. There wasn't even a hint of green tinging her skin when she saw the two corpses. Worse, her admittedly already pale skin did not pale further when she removed the makeshift burial shroud. There was a name tag on her plaid shirt, peeling off at one end. In faded text, it read, Counselor Rain, Smiley Face. Her hair was cut short, trimmed to a neat blonde bob. She smoothed out her slacks and wrinkled her nose at the sight before her, as though it were a pile of foul-smelling garbage, and not the corpses of two innocent teenagers. Well, she said. That's a grisly sight. She removed her walkie-talkie from her belt and spoke into it, voice flat. We've got another one, Counselor Rain said, glancing at the two bodies. Two, actually. There came a garbled mess of words and frustrated exclamations from the walkie-talkie, and Counselor Rain walked away, talking animatedly with whoever was on the other end. Another one? came a high-pitched voice to Marilyn's left. What does that mean? Oh my god, what's happening? Marilyn stepped forward and wrapped one arm around a shaking girl. One of the newer campers, she thought, one who hadn't seen this before. Chelsea, her name was, or something similarly youthful. Come on, Marilyn said, pulling the quivering girl into a one-armed hug. Let's go down by the creek, okay? Okay. I'll explain everything once we're there. Chelsea glanced up at her with wide, trembling, chestnut eyes, and the two of them staggered down to the creek, just a five-minute walk from the campsite. They turned back only once, just in time to see a small group of counselors removing the bodies and cleaning the gore as best they could from the forest floor. Chelsea whimpered from beside Marilyn, doing with the bodies packing them into trash bags came Marilyn's terse reply and burying those bags deep in the woods oh Chelsea said her eyes devoid of any spark or life as she stared down at the slow moving waters of the creek who what killed them Marilyn sighed. This is the part that gets a little... unbelievable. That girl, Chelsea said, pointing one shaking finger towards the camp, was snapped in half from the inside. People don't bend like that. Not unless their fucking spines are broken and their organs are shuffled around. And the boy? She turned slightly pointing at the approximate location of Zediah's body. That boy had his torso and right arm crushed so bad that they looked like hamburger meat. Tell me it's aliens from space. Swear to God, I'll believe you. Chelsea shuddered, her voice softening. No animal I know of could do something like that. Marilyn raised an eyebrow at the girl's burst of anger and subsequent and rapid cool down. Katie Nicholson, and Zodiah Renner. What? Those were their names. Chelsea mouthed those words over and over again, as if she were trying to commit them to memory. Maybe she was. Now sit, Marilyn said and swallowed, wetting her lips to prepare for the rather long, incomprehensible ramble she was about to spit out. It's about the size of a bear, she began, tapping her finger against her thigh. You can mistake it for one if you're not careful. Its skin melts and regrows rapidly, and you can tell where it's been because it leaves oozing clumps of skin and flesh behind everywhere it goes. It's like Marilyn swallowed. It's like it's constantly falling apart and then putting itself back together. Its face. Marilyn wrung her hands and rubbed the side of her neck. Its face is all wrong. I I don't know how to describe it. It's almost... It's almost human. But the rest of it isn't human at all. Not even when it stands up. It just looks vaguely bear-shaped. It... not quite, though. It's shaped like something, and the something is a little bit bear-shaped. It doesn't look silly. It's not like... Marilyn laughed despite herself. (laughs) It's, It's not like a human head on a bear's body. It's an animal's head, but... It's like if somebody stretched a human skin mask over it. The proportions look human, but stretched and warped. It doesn't really look like a bear. Not up close, anyway. It has hands, for one thing, but they're all wrong. Marilyn ran her trembling hands through her hair. That's as much as I can tell you about its appearance. Chelsea crossed her arms. How do you know all this? Marilyn huffed, her temper rising. You said you would believe me. I do believe you. Chelsea said, rolling her eyes and leaning forward to poke Marilyn in the chest, punctuating each word that followed. What I asked is how do you know? Because I saw it. Marilyn said, her usually flat, relaxed voice spiking into a shout. I saw it, and I survived it, and it should not be a thing. It's all wrong, Chelsea. Marilyn ran her hands through her dark hair. It's all wrong. Chelsea's shoulders slumped. You can call me Chell, she said, and shuffled around so that she was sitting beside Marilyn. Do you... do you want to talk about it? Marilyn took a deep breath. It was a couple years ago, she said. I was 14, 15-ish, your age. Chell nodded. Go on. I mean, if you want to, that is. I do, Marilyn said, pulling in a deep breath and sitting up as straight as she could. I I don't even remember why I was here. God, something stupid. It was one of those things where you only get sent to a place like this if you're young. If you're older, it's just acting out. I think I stole a bunch of shit from a grocery store or something like that. Sweets. Might have been books, but... Marilyn waved her hand in the air. That's besides the point. I was going for a walk around the area, because I was bored. I think I was just sort of stewing, you know? I heard some weird sounds, but... Well, it's the woods. In the middle of fucking nowhere. You're gonna hear some freaky noises, so I ignored it. And then, Marilyn went very quiet, only then noticing that she'd pulled up several fistfuls of grass, the vibrant green blades now laying in her lap. It's okay, Chell said, her voice barely above a whisper. You don't have to keep going. No, Marilyn said rather abruptly as she realized when Chell flinched. No, I... I want to get this out there. I want to talk about it. Tell somebody. She coughed. <coughs> somebody who won't think I've lost my mind. I believe you, Chell said, looking directly at Marilyn, eyes firmly set. I believe you. Marilyn hummed, a thank you of sorts. I don't think I need any more background. It came crashing out of the woods, broad fucking daylight Mind and slammed me up against a tree so hard my head spun. I saw stars, and I bit my tongue and shouted real loud, kicked and screamed and clawed, but it did no good. The thing built like a wall, honest to God, It got real close to my face, and its breath was disgusting. Candy canes. Kind of artificial, overpowering, minty smell. Like cold. I don't know how something can smell cold, but it smelled cold. And liquor, too. It was like mint crossed with liquor. That's what it was. And its breath was so hot. Even though it smelled cold. There was drool spilling out of the corners of its mouth and landing on my shirt. Its eyes were a pale, pale blue. There wasn't anything animalistic or feral about them. Its eyes were its most human feature, and they were filled with intelligence and clarity and morality. Marilyn swallowed. So it was real close. Then it... Ducked its head so its mouth was right next to my ear, and it—it it told me it was gonna, that it was gonna tear my heart out, right out of my chest. It rested the almost hand that wasn't pinning me up against the tree on my ribs, and I felt it puncture the skin like it was made of paper. And it smiled. Marilyn looked skywards, letting her breath twitch into a satisfied smile, only dimly aware of Chell's shallow, rapid breaths. And its face was right next to mine, and it was smiling, and I was so angry, and my hands were free, so I grabbed its face and I jammed my thumbs into its human eyes, and it screamed and stopped its torturously slow process of tearing me open, and it dropped me. And I fell real hard, smacked my head again, scratched up everything that could get scratched up. I bit my lip real hard, and I'd already bit my tongue, so there was a fuck ton of blood in my mouth, and the thing kept screaming. See, you know what I did? Chell. Marilyn ripped her gaze away from the sky and stared at Chell. What did you do? I laughed. I laughed, and then I ran, like hell. I was spitting blood as I went. I guess I'd knocked a tooth loose either when I hit the tree or when I hit the ground because I spat my last baby tooth out that day in the woods. And I ran all the way back to camp and told everyone I'd taken a bad fall. Got stitches for the little slice on my torso, and that was that. The fucker never bothered me again. Chell sat back with a shaky breath. I'm glad you're okay, she said, with that tone of voice that indicated there was more to the story than that. But... Ah, there it was. So, this thing snapped Katie in half, tried to rip your heart out, and crushed Zadiah what Chell wrung her hands where's the pattern Marilyn cringed I don't think there is one I think it's experimenting trying to find out what it likes best or maybe it just wants to spice things up I don't know Chell's shoulders slumped experimenting or for fun Marilyn added. Chell stood up and off the ground. Who's next? Hmm? Who's it gonna kill next? Marilyn stood up with a cackling laugh. (laughs) Stick with me, she said, wrapping an arm around Chell. And it ain't gonna be you. Chell smiled something fierce. It ain't gonna be me, she parroted. And that's all you can hope for at Camp Goodwill, Marilyn said as the two of them walked back to camp. That it won't be you. Thanks for listening. I have to say, I am so overwhelmed by all of you lovely folks who have turned out to support my Patreon. I know how amazingly fortunate I am to have such good listeners and I talked about how I was very much affected by you know, I I so many of us were, but I was one of the many, 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 many whose industry completely shut down once the virus, you know, had us all, has us all indoors now. Um So I really, really appreciate it. I hope I can complete can provide you with some semblance of comfort and familiarity through these internet airwaves, through all these difficult difficult times. I can't talk. Um I have really honestly been spending every single day in front of my computer trying to get out bonus content. I want a good mix of bonus content for, you know, the free channel and for the Patreon listeners. And I literally just treated this like a full-time job now, which is what I've always wanted it to be. So, you know, i really put all of my time and effort into it I it, in fact it is currently 12 30 p.m. or 12 30 a.m. Friday morning and my husband got home hours ago and I took a break and had a burrito with him and then came back in here I have just been plugging away um trying to just really provide you guys with some good stuff during this time and taking advantage of all this time and I just want to be there for you guys. You know, a lot of us, I have friends who are quarantined completely alone in studio apartments, and if I can be a voice of comfort for someone like that, then that is exactly what I want to do. So let's do Patreon shoutouts, shall we? A huge, 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 huge warm welcome to Heather Smith, Amy Gardner, Joshua Poussin, Sue Ann Evans, Lillian Acevedo, Roberta Giorgione. Jolie O.K., Amanda, Valerie Catal- Cataldo, Jill Morton, Ben Dukes, Rebecca Carpenter, Rebecca, Lily Blenton, Ariadna Aguilar, Tuhid, Frank Wilson, Wesley Teal, Jaime Biron, Jim Laverie, Basil, like the plant, Glenna Dorcius Shipman, and Jen. And I am so sorry if I mispronounce any of those names. It really, it hurts my heart when I mispronounce names because names are very important. So I highly, I fully apologize if I mispronounce any of those. But that was probably the most I've ever, most Patreon shoutouts I've ever had. And I really, 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 really thank you guys. It's so sweet. And um, like I said, I was going to, Patreon sent me an email, I don't know, like a couple months ago and said like, hey, we're doing this new thing and we really think you should make your one dollar tier into like a two or three dollar tier and I was going to because they said it was great and they had this whole presentation thing and I was but I don't know you guys like I'm keeping my one dollar tier at least for now until the I don't even have a date I was going to change it on March 10th and obviously the world collapsed and I feel like If you have a dollar, not even everybody has a dollar right now, but you know, like I said, so I'm trying to put out bonus stuff on the free channel, but keep it balanced, but I still need to keep my lights on too. So for a dollar, you have access to all of my bonus content. The other tiers, I don't think I've gone over them in a long time, but $5 gets you a sticker, a scary to sleep sticker that I will send out personally. I lick the stamp or the envelope myself and everything. So you have a little bit of my DNA. That's gross. Don't. Now, now I'm going to have a lot of people cancel, <laughs> but, and then the $10 tier is a personalized letter from me. And I make this cool stationery and has like wax seal and I put creepy smells on, not creepy. They're pretty smells, but they're like campfire-y smells when you get it. It's really awesome. So yeah, those are all my tiers. Um, I really want to start. I had a lot of plans, much like a lot of people. I've heard a lot of other podcasts talk about this, but like all of us had all these plans for cool stuff we were going to do in 2020 and that kind of got put by the wayside, really not trying to, you know, spend a bunch of extra money right now, but I had all this cool stuff planned for my Patreon, but hopefully come summertime, I will be able to, you know, start all that stuff up. I have some cool stuff coming in from a, an amazing listener who made like handmade some really cool shit. And I don't know if they... I'm going to talk to her. I want to see if, like, she wants me to even say her name. She's very private. But that's going to be, like, a giveaway or some something of the sort. But she made, like, really cool stuff with my logo on it. And, like, I... Seriously, you guys, I am so fortunate. I hear from people all over the world. And I'm going to take the day tomorrow, or today, I guess, and, like, get back to a lot of emails. I've been getting all of your very supportive messages. I mean, from India, from Scotland, from just like Australia, like Sweden. I, I, I can't believe I'm talking to people from all over the world. Like it, it's insane. Like I, to see even where my show is getting popular and it's like South Korea and you know, Malaysia and hello to everybody in South Korea and Malaysia who are listening because I, I've never been there and I want to go there and you guys are like listening to my show and I'm just, you know, here and I've never lived anywhere other than Southern California. So that's to be able to reach people that far. You guys, it's really late. I think I'm just kind of like talking because I really am grateful. And I'm so hello to all my international listeners. Hello, hello to all my domestic listeners. I'm tired. I'm very tired. I did this like really long yoga today and I thought I was going to die. Shout out to all my yogis out there. I've just started it in the last couple weeks and it is hard. Anyway. Wow. I really am rambling. Okay. You guys, I got to go to bed. I am... Boring you all to tears if you're probably ripping off those dish gloves right now. Like, shut up, just shut up. Um, okay, well, send me your submissions. I've been getting some really cool submissions. You guys are obviously feeling inspired. Um, I haven't surprisingly, someone asked me this recently, I have not gotten one, um, like epidemic, pandemic, plague, any sort of submission like that, and I'm kind of surprised too. Um, not that I'm like asking for them. You guys probably want... That's like the last thing you even want to think about. But I really haven't gotten any of those. If, you can send them if you have ideas for them. But yeah, just thought that was interesting. So com or you can go to the website, scarytosleep.com. There's a contact form there. Um, follow me and all the stuff. You guys know how to use Google. You're smart people. Um, you know, Google where I am and there I am. If you join the Facebook page, please, please answer the questions because Rosemary and I need to know if you're bots or not we've had a few people recently who like they submit and then we're both kind of like I think you're cool I'm really bad about just being like you're cool and I accept you and then late like a few days ago some lady I I accepted some lady because and she didn't answer the questions and I was like I'm sure it's fine and immediately posted like just a set of tits right there right on my Facebook page Or the scary to sleep page. And I was like, well, see, this is why we have questions and this is why people need to answer them. Anyway, answer the questions, please. I'm going to go to bed. I obviously need to sleep and go away. Um, I think that's all. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.